0: From KPFK in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, Massachusetts, WMBR in Cambridge, and BikeTalk.org worldwide. This is Bike Talk. Hey everybody. Welcome to Bike Talk. Hi hey, Taylor. Hey Nick. Hey Seamus. Hey Lindsay. Hi. Hey, everybody. Hey, you guys. I'm, I'm Taylor Nichols, and I am a cyclist and an unemployed actor. And I'm here with Nick Richard, who is the founder of Bike Talk and CEO. I'm here with Lindsay Sturman, who is a one-woman wrecking crew. If you want to get something done in the city of Los Angeles, go to Lindsey Sturman's house and start getting it done. And I'm also here with Seamus Garrity. Seamus is our senior political correspondent for Bike Talk. Everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Bike Talk. Seamus, you got an interview with OSAC. What is our, OSAC?
1: Our Streets Action Committee. Um, yeah, it was a it was an interesting interview. They are this a new group consisting of um, folks, executive directors from um, several other organizations, LA Walks, Bike LA. And mobility justice. And and I'm talking to these executive directors about why they created our Streets Action Committee. Well, let's hear your interview. Here we go. Hello, everyone. This is Seamus Garrity. You are listening to Bike Talk. Today, I have the very good fortune of interviewing three icons in the local transportation advocacy community. I have Andres Ramirez, John Yee, and Eli Kaufman, all from their respective organizations. They are going to introduce themselves and the new organization that they're forming today. Andres, would you like to go first?
2: Yeah, sure. Hi everybody, my name is Andres Ramirez, Executive Director with People for Mobility Justice, our organization is based in LA County with a focus on raising consciousness around mobility justice in BIPOC communities. Through advocacy for policy change and developing programs that um, bring innovations to, to communities of color throughout the county, we're a part of different different projects such as Electro Bici out in Pacoima, where we we started an electric bike long-term lending program. We're starting another one in South LA soon, hopefully in June. We're also doing a series of, of workshops around bike safety education and, and do community planning in conjunction with LADOT.
1: Yeah, very cool. Eli, are you ready? I, we were going to go alphabetical a bit.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Eli Kira kaufman
3: Executive Director of, the LA, ah, of Bike LA, formerly the LA County Bicycle Coalition. Still getting used to that. And yeah, we're, we're an organization that's been around for about 20 some odd years, uh, working to make LA more bikeable and therefore more livable, sustainable, equitable, and just a joyous place to be and live and commute and yeah so that's that's me and, and i'm sorry that I'm, I'm actually commuting right now so i apologize if there's any background baby noises or if there's
2: any other types of noises that you hear from the road love it
1: and then
4: john hey everyone hey listeners of bike talk my name is john Yi. i am the executive director for los angeles walks uh we do pedestrian advocacy for the city of los angeles And yeah, what we primarily do is work with communities that have traditionally had some of the worst infrastructure and work with them to get safe streets today. And then as we do that, we build power to change larger systems issues. So yeah, good to be here. And as always, good to be here with my colleagues, Andres and Eli as well, and really looking forward to sharing the work that we're doing uh, together.
1: I'm excited too. So you guys, these organizations have been around for a minute and you guys are leading these organizations. Can you talk a little bit about how you ended up getting into this type of advocacy? This is bike talk. We try to keep it centered around bicycles, but when we're talking about these larger transportation systems, it's interesting to kind of hear how people ended up advocating for what they're advocating for, and then maybe just go counterclockwise. John,
4: you know, my background has always been in community organizing. So before, you know, at Los Angeles Walks, I did organize around tobacco against tobacco. Before that, before that, in education, and so something about building community power and then you know pursuing a collective goal has been something that I've been doing for most of my life, and. You know, the world of transportation isn't any different when it comes to that, especially when it comes to some systemic issues. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know when it comes to being a bicyclist in L.A., uh, the systems issues you face with getting really good infrastructure that saves lives and protects you. And so that's kind of what brought me to the work. I would say, you know, I got hit by a car twice while biking in Koreatown. And I think both times I thought it was my fault. Um, but doing this work really makes me revisit those moments and ask myself, like, what is the infrastructure like? And why is it that, for example, Koreatown, where I live, is super dense, super family rich, but yet has some of the fastest traffic cut throughs, you know, east, west, west, east traffic. And so I think those are the kind of questions that I've sort of really been come to. And yeah, so that's kind of what brings me to this work here.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's actually interesting. In Koreatown, there are multiple metro stops, and yet it is very difficult to get to them in a safe way, whether on bike or foot or other form of micromobility. And just for national listeners, Koreatown, I believe is either the first or second most densely populated neighborhood in Los Angeles, and it's right in the heart of the city. So you really would think of it as a as a prime location for complete streets, for bike lanes, and for really good walkability. Eli, how about you? How did you end up getting so high up in the uh, advocacy world?
3: <laughs> well, uh, I don't know about high is, is uh, the right term. On the ground, I'm raising kids here in LA, and, you know, it's a car culture that I think has really had an adverse impact on the physical, mental, and social health of everyone, but especially of kids. And so I was really, I got into this to, to introduce my kids to what being on a bicycle is all about and and what the benefits are of cycling to not only their own sense of self and, and wellness, but also for the greater good. And we started talking about the affordability of biking. We started talking about the joy of bicycling, the feeling of self-resilience and ability to problem solve your way through some challenging moments. So I just, I feel like there's a lot to learn from being on a bike. And so that's how I really got started. I, I was looking for a community and LA CDC at the time had this thing called the river ride, which I joined just to have an outdoor bike, safe, supported bike ride with my kid. And that really hooked me. I said, we have this beautiful Mediterranean climate, you know, year round, basically so much of LA is accessible to anyone from eight to 88, because it's Relatively flat for the most part, you can find a route that is accessible to most people. But the traffic and the and the infrastructure is so poor that I felt like I had to do something. I had to participate in in improving that, you know, for my kids and for my parents and everybody in between. So that, that's really how I got started. It just it was social. It was like how do I how do I make LA a more livable place by making it more bike friendly and and by extension, you know, more transit friendly to use public transit and, and, and to walk it. How do I make LA just a, a better place to not be in a car?
2: Definitely. Andres. Yeah. No, thanks, man. I mean, I, I, similar to John, I mean, my, my career really started around doing community organizing. I, I was doing tenure organizing for many years with SAGE. SAGE is the strategic actions for a just economy organization here in Los Angeles, particularly in South Los Angeles. And so during that time, this was the early, you know, like 2006, 2007, something like that, you know. During organized, I noticed how many people on the streets were riding their bikes. That's a form of transportation, right? the The rep for for, for bicyclists in the LA for, up to that point was really as a it's a it's a recreational thing. Folks rode for fun, you know. Things like Midnight Riders was doing stuff, Critical Mass, right? But those rides were really diverse, to be quite honest, right? The, the people of the color I saw that they were riding, they were doing it to write to work. They were riding to. To the grocery store, and I started also noticing how little facilities existed in the community, and so through that started started you know getting more involved and in, and in, in learning about things being documents being written like you know the mobility panels being written way back then, and how it, ex- it excluded whole communities like South LA, borough Heights, Wilmington, you know, and what we realized is we needed to get you know folks from the city to come up to our communities and started organizing rides. Just just got a got a Facebook memory about the ride we did 10 years ago down Central Avenue, where, you know, part of the the, the community rides is showing that one kind of visibility of the cycling community in in, in South LA, but also kind of being able to elevate the the cultural significance of communities in South LA and making stops and make sure folks understand that our communities get a bad rep a lot of times the media is being violent in dangerous places, when in reality they're really not, right? It's families and and Mad culture, mad, mad. You know, great, great eats and things like that. You know, we utilize bicycle riding as as a way to to kind of bring light to that. You know, and also as a form of activism of, you know, challenging the city, start thinking differently about different sectors of of the community that have been historically underinvested in. Awesome.
1: You mentioned the mobility plan, and I, I know that's something that we want to talk about today, and sort of how it pertains maybe to the creation. Of OSAC, our Streets Action Committee, and who who wants to kick that off? I would love to kind of hear about what led to the you guys coming together to organize this uh,
4: Avengers team. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Seamus. I could kick it off about OSAC, about who we are as an organization. So you know, real quickly, we are a coalition of active transportation advocate groups here in LA, and. When active transportation is a broad word, but literally our coalition is made up of groups like Ciclavia, the groups in this you know Zoom room right here, Act LA, Slate Z, Scope LA, Tamika Butler, Reciclos. And so we represent all users of the road from bicyclists to pedestrians to transit riders. And so I think it's a broad coalition of everyone who has a vested interest in making sure we can move not just from A to B as fast as we can, but with dignity and with a well-invested infrastructure. So we are, we've kind of coalesced together to create this organization called Our Streets Action Committee. And my colleague will go into a little more about sort of the, the framework and sort of the campaign we're working on right now. But this was partially in response to a need to really mobilize and to present to the city an alternative on how we can have better streets. But not only just not only by fixing designs here or fixing a design there, but really addressing some of the systemic issues that really make strong and just transportation so difficult in Los Angeles. And the story I often bring up is like one speed hump can take over a year to get in LA and it's because systems issues uh, we have in Los Angeles. So there's three sort of major policy issues that we've been pushing for that we want to get addressed in the city. And the first is for the city to have a capital infrastructure plan, right? To manage our projects, have more predictability and spending and funding in the timeline, Um, the second sort of call to action that we're having for the city is to have a clear idea of what prioritization looks like when it comes to equity you know equity is a word that's thrown around a lot by city officials by even advocates but what does it actually mean when it comes to implementing infrastructure especially infrastructure when you have a limited amount of resources how do you prioritize that so that's a sort of second thing defining equity and the third is is a real structural change of the agencies. I think one of the things we struggle here with in Los Angeles is that we have too many cooks in the kitchen, and oftentimes those cooks don't talk to each other. And the communities that are often sort of screwed over in the process are those without political power or any kind of social leverage. And so what we're calling for is a coalescing of city agencies where you have more accountability and a more central focus, a more central management of our sidewalks and street space. And so those are sort of the three calls to actions we have as a coalition as OSAC and I'll pass to my colleagues about how those call to action not only are just broader solutions to the systemic issue, but uh, really addresses some of the shortcomings of the ballot measure you mentioned earlier.
1: That's amazing. So you guys coming from these various organizations and talking about your background, Andres, maybe you, you can talk about what does that look like? What John was talking about in terms of what is the equity? How do we see that implemented when we're implementing the mobility plan or any city? What does that look like?
2: Yeah, I mean, one way that we feel that can look like, right, is prioritizing the communities that have been highest impacted by the lack of infrastructure, right? This LADOT has actually created a data set called the High Injury Network, right? Which are the streets with the most amount of, of traffic collisions in the city. A lot of those streets are concentrated in, in, in communities of color, right? Like South LA, like you know, the Northeast San Fernando Valley, Wilmington, you know, Koreatown, right? And so. Logic would say, right, if there's resources to improve infrastructure, those communities should be prioritized, right? The reorganization of streets, you know, common of traffic, putting in bike things does not necessary, bus lanes, um, you know, protecting bike things, things that are not usually, I and mean, I think it's also coming to grips or reckoning with the city's history of racist planning, right? You know, mm-hmm. the city has a long history of, from redlining in, in the 1920s and 30s, right, to to, you know, simply just deprioritizing, you know, certain sectors of town when it comes to investment, right? And that has resulted in streets that are dangerous for everyone, right? And we know that the city has created programs like Vision Zero to try to address these. But I think what we're trying to get to as a coalition, what brings us together is we're trying to reach the root issue with this, right? Because programs like Vision Zero have great intentions, but are limited by the shortcomings of the systems that they work in. And so, you know, there needs to be policy solutions that are oriented with this. There needs to be programmatic investment, right? Building out this infrastructure in these communities, making sure that these communities are involved in the process as well. I mean, that's that's another piece that community informs planning. It's not just, you know, parachuting in with solutions and going away, right? This has to be a democratic process for sure.
1: The community involvement. Question, I think, is key because in a city like Los Angeles, where city council members have incredible power, right, they can decide kind of where they go, where they don't go. And, you know, how do we account for the possibility of, you know, misuse of that power to put bike lanes through a corridor as a means of perhaps gentrification, right? Where we're seeing, if you go into Boyle Heights and you just start putting huge networks in there without consulting the communities there, but then if you do consult those communities and they kind of indicate that they don't want them, but yet you need this high injury network um, taken care of, can you kind of speak to how you guys would approach instances like that? where it is quite complicated to get the infrastructure through a specific neighborhood.
3: I mean, I can jump in on that for a minute. One of the things that we do at Bike LA is we take elected officials onto infrastructure audit rides. We've done it with Councilwoman Nithya Raman, just to give her or them the lived experience of what it's like to be not in a car in their district and to see what their constituents are having to deal with on a daily basis without the support of infrastructure that's built around their health and wellness, but really more about moving cars. And so I think it's really about an education piece for a lot of these folks who have good intentions with these broad-based plans, but who maybe haven't had as much lived experience on the street, understanding what's really going on out there for folks who are active transportationists, whether they're walking, biking, or using transit. So that's one thing that we're committed to as our Streets Action Committee is is getting folks out on the street so they can understand what folks are contending with and to do our due diligence to bring in subject area experts from not only locally, but from around the country to provide expert insight about what's possible. But then not just rely on that expert opinion, then make sure that we're giving equal or more time to the community members who actually live, work, play, and commute in these areas to make sure that their voices are prioritized. And their needs are really heard as the needs uh, of the current community that needs to be served. So I think there's some really interesting opportunities for us to do that type of education, teachings, learnings. And again, there's nothing like just having an experience on the street, on the sidewalk or on a bike to understand how poorly our infrastructure is performing at this time. So yeah, th- those are some ideas
2: right off the bat. I think the other piece that I would want to say is, you know, when we're talking about mobility justice, we understand that is an intersectional issue, right? Transportation doesn't happen in a silo, right? Transportation is a, a topic in, a, in the greater life of somebody, right? So absolutely housing has a lot to do with that, right? Access to, to affordable housing is, is key. Not only that, though, I mean, I think one of the strategies to combat gentrification is to create the creation of the living wage work. And I think that's the other piece of this that we want, are gonna be bringing to the forefront with the city and county, right, is, these investments are coming in. who's doing this work, right? The city constantly saying they're undermanned in terms of understaffed and implementing their work? How are you making processes to, to create jobs locally, right? Can the, can the creation of a, of a local hire mechanism be implemented? or is it a community benefits agreement building something with some of these facilities into a community? These are the kind of conversations I think we want to bring up because you know what I mean like we're also very conscious of the fact right LA prepping itself for the Olympics to come to town in 2028. And there's, there's a long legacy of cities of what they do to poor people when the Olympics come to, to their cities, right? And that says they, they get rid of poor people. And that's something that we're not going to let happen, right? You know, whatever infrastructure is built should be built for the people of L.A. that live in, not not for tourists who are going to come and visit the city for for a short period of time. And I think... That's a key point that we're going to be pushing with the next officials.
1: Definitely. Applause button on that one. I think that the question I'm trying to get to, I guess, is in Eli, full disclosure, you have been sort of a mentor of mine in learning about bike advocacy this past year. So I have to have to start there by thanking you. I think that a diverse coalition in anything that you're trying to get passed in the city of Los Angeles is going to require a great deal of diversity. I think that the last mayoral election demonstrates that very well. We had hundred million dollars spent on, on one side. And then like, I think it was like 12 million on the other and it didn't matter. And so what I'm getting at is what does Los Angeles look like with a complete street? The mobility plan is implemented. What does it look like when it's not for the tourists coming for the Olympics, but for the people in Los Angeles? What, what do we have? What does it look like?
3: Well, I mean, I don't know if you're directing that. At me, so let me try, to, let me try uh, to, to provide some thoughts there. So what Andreas is saying is, is absolutely, I couldn't agree with him more. And he's been a great teacher of mine. So, look, um, we're not just talking about complete streets. We're talking about complete communities where the essential needs of people is being addressed because the way that we even design our communities is for the good of all the people in those spaces and especially no matter what their zip code is. And so I think it looks like streets that connect communities that are connected to themselves that have all the amenities and needs covered. You know, there's this whole movement called the 15-Minute City you may be aware of, our listeners may be aware of this, which really talks about everything that's essential to you should be within walking or biking distance, or maybe at the furthest end between walking, biking, and transit distance, but that you shouldn't have to get into a car. You shouldn't have to take on the burden of car ownership. The planet shouldn't have to take the burden of the, of the greenhouse gas emissions that are emitted from cars. That should not be the only way, right? So that's what we're trying to figure out is how do we create access to complete communities that have everything that they need? Um, I think what I just want to say is that like, In terms of the Healthy Streets LA thing, I wanna make sure we say this is that what that group did, and by the way, LA Walks and Bike LA, formerly LA CBC, were active participants in in helping to raise the awareness around the signature gathering campaign to get that measure uh, to a certain place. And so we we have to acknowledge that there's a lot of good work that happened to raise awareness, give credit where credit is due on on making LA aware of this this and, and giving people a chance to get engaged, I'm sorry. The baby is like right on the edge of napping. But I think I think that in spite of that, we need to be more ambitious about what it is we're trying to solve for than just simply raising awareness around the bike infrastructure or even the pedestrian infrastructure that's missing. We need to be more ambitious about creating systemic change, like John said, around approaching the right kind of implementation strategy of any mobility plan that is rooted in equity, but also has someone who's held accountable, whether it is a czar of active transportation or a department of mobility, but some centralized group that is responsible to the citizens and the residents of Los Angeles so that they can get from point A to point B without fearing for their lives. These are the things that systemically need to be changed before any well-intentioned measure or ordinance can really have the impact that we all want to see.
1: So what I'm getting from that is it's not the result. It it is the process. So the world that we have at that point is equity at the point of process. Yeah, totally. Going back to, you see bikes and you see who's using bikes. And I think that in the city of Los Angeles, cars are very much a status symbol, right? And so people achieve a car and then they achieve a better car and we get more and more cars, even though apparently we're losing population how do we start to change that? How do we start to get people thinking about these other forms of transportation? Obviously bikes, is my first choice, but how do we get these other forms of transportation to start taking the place of cars in the minds
2: of Angelinos? I mean, yeah, we're talking about the culture shift in the city, right? I mean, I think right now, the biggest detriment for folks, to fully change their habit in terms of their form of transportation is a fear for their lives, right? The perception of most people is that the streets of LA are not safe or conducive for pedestrians and cyclists. lot of that has to do with the bicycle fatalities that occur in the city. There's an epidemic of, of hit and runs in the city, right? People don't value lives more than they do the convenience of their car. So that's going to, I think, when you talk about an ideal world, we shifted away from that, right? And really elevated any form of transportation, however you want to get around the city is, is, is available. And, and accessible, right? Right now you can't say that, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, right now people move in cars because that's the that's the most convenient way to move around. And that's because of how the, how the city's planned out their roads, right? So streets are extra wide, you know what I'm saying? Like sidewalks are narrow, bike lanes may exist or probably not, right? Or not well maintained. So, you know, I think it's a cultural shift not only from city leaders, but also from from the population, right? Part of that is also education, right? Like, you know, how are we educating, you know, people of the city to be conscious of pedestrians and cyclists, right? Can we embed bike safety education and, in, in, you know, K K to twelve education, right? Like, can people take a a a bike class during PE, for example? You know, we 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 kind of piloted some of those ideas, you know, years ago on Autobahn Middle School, you know. But there has to be like a political will for that, right? From leadership of resourcing that kind of stuff, right? Because just building the facility isn't good enough, right? I think that's something that we're very conscious of, right? Like, I mean, that's part of the problem right now. They don't even exist, right? But building the facilities and then educating folks at the same time is going to be key because that's what's going to allow for this shift in people's thinking that LA can only be navigated via car, which is not the truth. Because I think that's the other kind of, you know, illusion of LA, right? LA's about traffic and cars, right? But the invisible components of LA is just a whole community of bike commuters that that live and thrive in LA. People that don't have a car at all and are able to live their lives happily, right? And I think kind of elevating those voices is important too, you know, and and stop with this vision that, you know, LA is only for people with the nicest cars because that's just not the reality. It's it's not affordable, especially as how expensive the city is to live in.
4: If I could also add, Oftentimes, when we talk about transportation in L.A., there's like a premise that's baked in that people like I think we, we need to acknowledge, which is if I take away your parking lot, you know, then the bike people who bike benefit. If I put a bike lane here and then people who take transit will suffer. And there's, there's a zero sum game I think polit- political leaders have played into, whether knowingly or not knowingly. And so and even city officials do that. And so I think we need to move away from it. But the reason I feel like that's such a baked premise, especially when one talks about transportation in LA it's because of the very systems issues that we brought up earlier. We are operating in a world of poverty in a way. And that's why I think everyone is sort of clinging on to whatever they can have as their vision of transportation. And I think we need to move away from that. And the way to move away from that is to address these systemic issues that we mentioned earlier, right? Having more organization in the city agencies, having clearer vision of what equity and prioritization is. And so that's why that's something that's so important to us as a coalition is to really push for those systems changes. Because that's how we start shifting people to think like transportation involves all of us, not just one group here versus another group here. And that's something that we want to really break. And it goes back to the cultures, you know, that, um, that Andres was talking about. And I think in regard to the Healthy Streets ballot measure, I think that's another example of where we need to really build in that premise, even within that ballot measure. Right. Because at this point, the only people who could really use that as a tool are those who have the financial means to sue uh, as the way it's currently written. And so what we want to really push for is like, how do we build a more comprehensive policy where the system itself produces these outcomes, but it's not a lawsuit that compels it to. So that's why we keep pointing to the systems change.
1: Yeah, I think it is all about systems change and it is all about, I mean, we're changing our major transportation system and in Los Angeles, it has been so dominated by cars, but to this point of a car being a status symbol in in Los Angeles, which I think it has been for a very long time, You know, I've been to planning meetings where they're planning a bus rapid transit lane, a dedicated bus lane, but it's not really a dedicated bus lane because they have to make space for cars to turn right. And so they're going to take the lane when they have to. And so like, what's the point? I think that there was something like this on Sepulveda. And the question is like not posed by the agency that how are we going to get folks out of their cars? How are we going to get folks to just choose to take? public transit or to ride an e-bike or a bicycle or some other form of transportation. Do you think that, that we are at a point or is this, a, should this be a priority of ours? I do. I think that in order to get anything passed through the city of Los Angeles, we, whether it's the healthy streets initiative, whether it's council action, whatever it looks like, it has to account for the question of how do we get people to choose something other than their car? right and so that question i think you guys come at a very powerful position of equity of, of diversity and i guess how do we get people who work at a movie studio to not drive their tesla you know or their mercedes how do we get them to pick the red line is that
2: something osac is is interested in or or is it yeah i mean yeah i, I think that's that's where what we need is is strong leadership, right? People are not going to fall to the, you know, minority voices that tend to be loud about change in the city. I think that's been the history of LA, right? Like when they're trying to build this, this, these things like a bus lane, right. You know, people come out and and there's these loud voices that are just adamant that the loss of parking or the amount of traffic in the cost is detrimental to the city. And, make such an enough fuss to, to influence or, or or pressure decision makers to fold, to, to right? I think people are kind of fed up with that. I think the, the results of the new leadership and city council is a reflection of that, right? But ultimately too, is also making sure that the voices of the folks who are positively impacted by that are heard. And, and, and I think that's what we feel the impact of a coalition like ours is so important because we organize on the ground with folks like that, right? folks who are transit riders, folks who are bicyclists, folks who are just pedestrians, right? We make sure that their voices are being heard at these tables as well and being represented because I think it's a misrepresentation that the city only wants car infrastructure, you know? And, and, you know, those notions have to be challenged because unfortunately, a lot of the leadership and these agencies are embedded in those ways, right? Their solution to addressing, you know, any traffic issues is widening roads, right? And, and you know there has to be voices to challenge challenge those notions right there's data that exists that challenges those notions so th- i think that's the reason we're kind of coming together and 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 building our collective power and voice to be able to to provide a a different perspective in those spaces to you know challenge leadership to think differently to 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 evolve the city frankly right like cuz i mean i think that's part of it too right folks are, are are holding on to this 20th century vision of los angeles right whereas it's all about cars, it's all about freeways, right? But more and more, you know, there's a reckoning with those choices, right? In terms of climate impact, in, ter- in terms of health impacts, in terms of economic impacts, you know what I'm saying? Like, something's got to give, right? And I think that's the role we see OSAC playing, right? Is really having a platform to bring those that to the table, that these ideas, these facts, and, and push push decision makers to, you know, know there's different perspectives, right? And that change is not going to be easy, but it's necessary for the good of the city. You know. So, in terms of the Healthy Streets Initiative,
1: can we talk about what's good and what's not great about it? Can we just kind of get into a little bit of a granular aspect on it, where we break down sort of what its shortcomings are and and what maybe is good about it? The Healthy Streets Initiative for listeners is a ballot initiative in, for next next year's ballot where it will force the city, by threat of a lawsuit, to implement the mobility plan?
3: I mean, well, there's a, there's a number of things that, that we can discuss. I mean, one thing is that the mobility plan itself, 2035, was adopted back in 2015. Think about how much the world has categorically changed since 2015. So a lot of the public engagement, even a lot of the different types of infrastructure, like interventions and concepts have changed almost unrecognizably to where things were at 2015. So some of the ideas and the engagement that sort of developed that plan are outdated. Another issue is that, you know, the city has some equity guidelines that are in that mobility plan but they're pretty lightweight if you actually dig into the plan itself. And the city doesn't have a great track record of actually delivering on any of those equity priorities or those standards. So as advocates, we feel like it's our obligation to hold the city accountable to do uh, not just the bare minimum that's in their plans, but, but to, really, to really push to actually serve the needs of the community at a, at a much higher standard than what's currently in that plan. And then finally, the plan is, as the CLA, the chief legislative analyst shared in a report not so long ago, admittedly, is is basically a guideline. It's aspirational in a lot of ways. Uh, Much of it hasn't been engineered. And again, a lot of it hasn't really been uh, brought to the public to be engaged with, to to get their input. Um, and, And if it has, again, it's from back in 2015. So because the plan is by and large recognized as a guidance or as an aspirational document that's not engineered nearly enough to be implementable because its equity standards are also dated and lacking in, in a number of areas. And, and because the world has changed so much since the plan was originally put together, uh, those those are reasons why we have concerns. But even if there was a perfect world and all those issues were not present, nobody in the city is really responsible or held accountable to implementing the plan. So without a department of mobility or Transportation or some instinct that's held responsible and accountable for implementing the plan, it's essentially just a plan without being properly resourced by the people power that's going to be, you know, needed to make it a reality.
2: Mm. Okay. One thing I would add, I mean, I, I think what the ballot measure did, I think, in terms of positive, it brought to the forefront this this discussion, and I think we all recognize that, right? However, you know, like Eli mentioned, there's need to put in work to really make that plan something that's viable, that's fruitful for the community, and in particular around the question of equity. That's something that we really feel adamant about. So, you know, I, I think The other point I would say, and and John touched on this earlier, right, you know, the greatest mechanism that the ballot measure has to to hold the city accountable is through lawsuit, right? Unfortunately, folks, poor people in the city don't have the resources to be suing the city, right? So we don't feel that that's a really viable solution, right? Like, we need to create systemic changes to really bring in the infrastructure that's needed. At the end of the day, that's the goal that we have, right? We want to see the city modernizes infrastructure, especially in, in in communities of color. And so that's kind of been the approach that we're doing, right? Because regardless, you know, wh- whether it's now or later, we kind of have to engage with the city as, as little we may have on their track record, right? Um, the city the ones that have to implement these plans, right? And, and so if, if we're not pushing the city to be held accountable, um, then really, are, are, are there going to be solutions really, really created, you know?
1: If the city were in the interim between now and when the ballot initiative is up, if if they are able to, by ordinance, create something like a mobility czar or fill some of the holes in this, aren't we sort of at a moment in time where it feels like we are really changing as a city? You know, you, you talk about 15 years ago when the mobility plan was written, you know, we were in a different place. Same thing with the 6th the Street Viaduct Bridge. Any bridge that you see built by Caltrans right now that's been being planned for 10 or 15 years is going to run into this trouble of like, we are in a new era, right? We have a totally new understanding of what we think a transportation system should look like. Is there a way to have the city pass uh, ordinance now that allows for this initiative to be more effective?
4: James, I think you're hitting it right on the head is what we're doing right now is that there is a window of opportunity and there's a set deadline which is 2024 when the ballot measure is going to go to public vote and so at the last meeting we had with city council city council members all came out you know with effusive comments about how vision zero was a failure how we need to do better and how you know the mobility plan needs to be fixed and more and implemented and so there is political wins behind us uh, with the city council and i think with the last election we have now more progressive members on council as well and so this is the very opportunity that we have to take and I, I have, I'm going to go back to my, my colleague Andres' comment, which is we, we need to work with the city because someone needs to implement this at the end of the day. We can pass this today if we wanted to, but if there's no one really held accountable and the city's not going to put that kind of accountability on themselves, then we're going to be ending up in the same exact spot. And so that's why accountability, having a transportation or someone held to measure for this is going to be so important. And exactly, we hope in the coming months and this year, we see some movement in city council to address that very issue. Awesome. Last question, I guess. When is the OSAC launch
1: party? Are we going to have a party? We're going to see this.
4: We've already launched. Uh, I mean, we had a so we had our first public event a few uh, a month ago, I think. We invited. I I didn't get my invitation. I'm sorry, (laughs) James. Yeah, we'll we'll invite you next time. But we did. We had our first event. We had uh, staff members from the city council and the mayor's office join us where talked about some of these issues, but definitely we're going to be having another, uh, we plan on having public education events, definitely uplifting some of our own individual organization events as spaces to talk about these very issues. But Seamus, we'll be sure to send you an invite. Please do.
1: I'm excited to see what you guys are doing. And thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Any last thoughts or sometimes we ask about Bike Joy. Where's
2: your Bike Joy? Oh, thanks for having us. Our, our, our Bike Joys is when we come together especially for bike rides definitely look out for that too Seamus We I mean, all of us all of us do that type of work in terms of, of education through through bike riding and, and you know building community through bike rides is something that we're very passionate about and we'll continue to be doing so we'll oh, definitely keep you know, keep people posted on there all right thank you guys thanks Seamus yeah it's a pleasure thanks,
3: and, uh, and uh and we look forward to the next conversation as, as we uh, as we continue on our path and look we actually haven't had like a big coming out, you know, uh, open gala party yet, but, um, but it's a great idea. I think we've been so focused on understanding how to build trust and coalition with each other. We want to widen that circle. We recognize that we have to do this together. We have to do it with as many of the listeners who are tuning into Bike Talk. Like this is going to take all of us. And so that's really a big part is that we just wanted to create the space where people could come together and work together. And design together the city that we all, you know, the region that we all deserve. And so, uh, so, so, yeah. Stay tuned, and we'll definitely let you know when the next big inflection point happens. Now that we've, uh, we've had our first joint interview, and and I just want to say uh, just how grateful I am for you to make this space for us. So, so, thanks, man.
1: Absolutely. That was
0: great, Seamus. Thanks a lot. Eli Kaufman has been on the show a bunch of times, so it's always good to hear him. We're going to branch out a little bit now. Rather than being kind of an LA-centric story, we're going to go to the bi-coastal interview with our own Galen Mook from the Massachusetts Bike Coalition. He's going to interview Will Radigan of the San Diego Bicycle Coalition. Will was on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about e-bikes and a lot of the changes that are going on down there. And this is Galen's interview.
5: All right, here we are at Bike Talk. We are back with Will Radigan. This is a second time on Bike Talk. He is the advocacy coordinator for the San Diego Bike Coalition, but we are talking in Somerville in Boston, Massachusetts right now. So we're doing a little bi-coastal. Will, happy to have you back on the program. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. I'll start by
6: coastal comparison how that's been. So I've worked for the coalition for about a year and a half, but for the last six months or so, I've been back and forth between Somerville and San Diego because my partner is in grad school here in Somerville. And what's been really interesting about that is seeing, one, just how far ahead we are in Massachusetts. I know it doesn't always feel like that to everyone here, but right. just in terms of having a bike network, I mean, especially in Somerville and Cambridge, that is truly welcoming to people of all ages and abilities. And it's not there yet, we're incredibly, incredibly far ahead of where we're at in San Diego. For example, my partner had never ridden a bike for transportation on a regular basis before we moved here. And in San Diego, it would be unimaginable to do that. No matter where you're trying to go, there's a very good chance that at some point you'd be riding on a six-lane arterial with a little six-foot painted bike lane. But here in Somerville, it's possible to go about your daily life pretty easily on protected bike lanes or pretty low stress like boulevard type streets maybe not quite that but the level of stress is so much lower and some of that is incidental just in the way that the cities were laid out and it's an older city we don't have as many of these big six lane arterials but right. some of it's through good design too and i feel like people in boston often don't think we have great bike infrastructure a lot of places we don't, of course But we are ahead in some ways. And working in California, it gives me a lot of inspiration just to see this is what we could be at. We could get stuck in bike traffic on the way to work like people do on Hampshire Street. (laughs) My partner works in Kendall Square, so we could have that and life could be
5: so much better. So it gives me a lot of motivation. That's really wonderful to hear that we can be an inspiration. I've lived here long enough to remember the days, the dark days, the anarchy days. And also San Diego, it's hard to be comparable to Boston area because, of course, this area was never built for car traffic. Right. Hands down, the easiest, fastest, quickest, cheapest way to get around is not by car.
6: No, it is riding a bike nine times out of 10. You can be transit unless you're maybe doing a straight shot on any of the subway lines from end to end. You Mm -hmm. can usually win on a bike. So that's a huge advantage. As I was saying in the beginning, in terms of Saro being really bikeable, not even that there are protected bike lanes everywhere. It's that the roads just are narrow in the first place Mm -hmm. Speeds have to be relatively slow. San Diego has probably had bike lanes way before Boston ever did. Right. Every new housing development was built with these six lane arterials with class two bike lanes, probably from the 80s, 90s onward. But those roads were built from scratch for cars. And the distances are so far apart that the easiest thing to use is a car. So... Yeah, we're up against a much more hostile built environment in general, whereas in Boston, I think a lot of it's such low hanging fruit. Sometimes to me, I'm so frustrated when I see this. There is a huge barrier to mobility somewhere. It's crazy that I can't walk across as easily or ride across it because it'd be so easy and it'd be so much faster.
5: Yeah. I'm curious to dive into a little bit of the demographics of the ridership that you think exists in both of these two, because for all the reasons to ride a bike... It's healthier it's cheaper it's more environmentally friendly nothing really seems to hit people besides just the convenience factor of it it's like Mm. everybody's selfish and whatever we'll destroy the planet because i'll save 10 minutes to drive and that given the ability to people usually choose to do that unfortunately We just don't really have that ability. Like that's not even an option that pops up to a lot of people to drive downtown to go to a movie. Right. You can't, and there's nothing to do with your car unless you wanna spend $40 to put it in a garage. Right. And that really brings out all types of riders. So the commuters, we have a huge student population here. Of course, there's like 60 universities or higher ed institutions in the greater Boston area. So there's always this perennial crop of relatively low paid young folks who are looking to ride bikes. We have a high immigrant population which lends itself towards needing cheaper forms of transportation. so I'm curious if you're seeing a little bit of overlap in terms of who you would expect to be outriding by their demographic.
6: Some, but what's challenging though in San Diego is that most of the time driving is the fastest way to get from A to B. Now, the fact that gas is $6 a gallon in California maybe changes the calculus for some people, but usually you need some other reason besides convenience, I think, to be someone that's going to ride their bike for daily transportation. What's interesting, too, is that we're one of the most popular areas in the country for people coming to take bike trips. People will fly on to San Diego and ride their bikes for a few days, mountain bikes, road bikes, whatever, because we have mountains, we have the ocean, it's beautiful, kind of dangerous, not experienced, but beautiful weather, beautiful weather year round, right? Mm. All of which lends itself very well to cycling, but the land use and the infrastructure makes it so that driving is usually faster. And so that's the big challenge we're up against. So in terms of who rides, it's like we have a... Huge, huge amount of road riders, just recreational road riders in San Diego, which definitely adds some complexity into advocacy because often what experienced road rider wants in terms of infrastructure is very different than what someone who just wants
5: to take their kids to school wants. Amen. Yeah, we faced that friction about 15 years ago when there was a big anti bike lane movement. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So
6: that movement was born in San Diego, which is what's been interesting. Mm-hmm. John Forrester, yep. the father of vehicular cycling, lived right outside of San Diego and was hugely influential in their local clubs and so that movement
5: is alive and well yeah john Forster, whose co-ally was john allen from waltham and oh. mit here so uh <laughs> i know i know yeah keep going i commiserate oh. with you that's the frustrating thing we could talk about more honestly but yeah so
6: we have a lot of road writers and again that adds some complexity and then there's kind of the small group and this is where a lot of the advocates come from which is people who are riding a bike for some reason of principle, or they just like it, they hate cars, they hate what they do to the environment, they care about the climate, or they just like riding their bike because it's a lot of fun. And those are the kind of people that I think are most often engaged in advocacy because they really believe riding a bike is something that's positive for society for many reasons and want to help make them available to our people. The third major demographic, which, of course, either gets ignored or is the only demographic that ride bikes, is people that can't afford to drive. And that's a huge amount of people in San Diego. Um, Gas is $6 a gallon. Transit is not great. does not get you everywhere at all. And San Diego is not an impoverished city by any means, but it has many, many low-income people. And those people rely on their bikes just to get around. We also have a huge unhoused population. I was going to ask about that. People who are unhoused. Many people own cars and live in them, but many don't and rely on their bikes to get around. So that's the other big demographic. And so just thinking about how our opponents talk about cyclists, it's like either they're all rich white guys in spandex or they're unhoused people. And somehow the argument will always be made that like, oh, well, they don't matter for some reason. One of those two groups doesn't matter. And yeah. and that's kind of what we're up against a lot of the time.
5: That's awful. Well, can you talk a little bit about what the San Diego Bike Coalition is doing to address some of this? Yeah, so... A big press
6: in recent years has been to diversify our membership as much as possible, because for a long time, we had this huge community of wealthy road riders who are engaged in cycling, but often aren't thinking about what the person just trying to get to their job or to go to school needs. And so we've been working on doing a lot of outreach to communities that have been historically excluded. So a few things that I think were really great, and some of them are still ongoing, some aren't. Before the pandemic, we had free bike repair outside of our office every Friday. Our office is actually in the East Village, which is where a lot of unhoused people live, and so we get a lot of them coming to our office and fixing their bikes. Fortunately, that stopped during the pandemic, so we're trying to bring that back right now. Hopefully, it should by the summer though. So excited about bringing that back. Other, we've been you know, trying to put on as many community bike rides that are like truly all ages, ability friendly as we can. So we've done a lot of that. Maybe we'll have like one or two road rides a year. Pretty much every ride we put on now, we're going eight miles an hour. We're making it super family-friendly. We're to try to have food trucks or something at the end of it. We're going to have our league-certified cycling instructors at the front and back, guiding people around, teaching them how to ride, and making it as accessible as possible for anyone. And then the other thing I'll talk about is, hopefully this summer we'll be partnering with a community-based organization in a community called City Heights, which is one of San Diego's lower-income communities, to do like a whole summer of cycling campaign there to try to get more folks involved. So yeah a lot of stuff we're doing but i came to the organization only a year and a half ago but it's definitely an issue we faced in the past where we weren't including everyone and i think that's where we need to grow in the future more than anything and we're hopefully hiring a new executive director in the next like week or two and um, oh. we're all excited for that person to help lead us in that direction
5: cool yeah we'll have to check back in good luck on the hiring search it sounds like you're doing a lot of outreach events and programming for traditionally underserved communities how do you envision as advocacy director leveraging those voices and amplifying those voices so that they can be translated into things like city council hearings or bike networks?
6: Yeah, so we do a bit of that already. But the way we're doing it now usually is because we haven't had a strong enough presence. I mean, frankly, San Diego is so big, we haven't had a strong on-the-ground presence in really any one community. We work sometimes more as like lobbyists than we do as community organizers, which is sometimes by necessity because it's such a huge region, but sometimes it's something that we should be doing and we haven't. So far, usually, we've been thinking about if there's a project in a certain community, we'll try to partner with that community-based organization, and we'll talk to them about the benefits of it, and then get them on board, and then we'll work together, like getting folks at the city council. A couple ones we have really good close relationships with, too, like City Heights Community Development Corporations, when we worked with a lot, they do a lot of just great by work themselves. That's usually the way we've done it, but that's
5: where we need to grow right? Yeah, it's a tough question. And I'm asking not to like needle, but I'm asking for my own purposes too, because I run a statewide organization, which again, kind of on your level of lobbyists and legislation and policies, we deal with the power structure and we're pretty comfortable dealing with the power structure, but that leaves out a lot of people who aren't, in those conversations who arguably need the policies to n- impact them the most so I'm still seeking ways of partnering from the mass bike perspective on a state level to those local orgs, those community-based organizations, those grassroots orgs who really have the direct connection to the people right because mass bike it's just you and one other person too yeah we have three total maybe three and a half and then
6: a smattering of instructors. So yeah, we're a little bigger. We have seven and then our instructors. And Massachusetts seems even more challenging because what's nice for us and where we can do some more community organizing is that the cities are so big. San Diego is where 40% of the whole region's population lives. So if we can do a good job organizing for those meetings, we can have somewhat of an on the ground presence. But Massachusetts has, I don't know, hundreds of cities and towns and- 351. And most very
5: small. So it's just not feasible for you to be on the ground in that many of those communities. Yeah, no, it's true. And that's why we think of policies that can be implemented on the local level. So we'll fight for the policy. And then it's up to the local advocates to take the charge, grab the baton and run with it. Mass Bike's role is to create a structure, but then we do leave it up to those who are most embedded in the communities to benefit.
6: Right. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do, though, because you have to have someone who's passionate in that community who's willing to put in a lot of time in order to make that happen.
5: Well, I think you probably concur with this too, is that the beauty of art work is that it's easy to find passionate people. True. That's very true. That's very true. You want to get somebody riled up about cycling? Easy. No question. Uh, Anyone who's ever ridden a bike is yeah. usually somewhat riled up. And that's the kind of beauty of it. Like regardless of language, regardless the background, regardless of their current situation, yes, they want better biking. If they're on a bike in any situation, they want better biking. Right.
6: Right. That's- so you can find those advocates. And we have found some really passionate advocates. Sometimes I wonder if they're spending
5: more time on advocacy than they are on their regular top, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is amazing to me. Well, just to round out our conversation. So you and I met last year at a convening of local advocates in a nationwide conference it's hosted by the League of American Bicyclists. It's every year. They call it the Bike Summit. This year, it's the end of March. We're all going to DC and we're kind of gathering up for a conference and then lobby day and all that sort of stuff. I'm curious, when you went down last year, it was, it was your first visit. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So what did you sense when you came down being a representative of a citywide coalition, but mingling and experiencing with some of the other orgs? Any particular insights or any particular kind of build that you saw as a benefit from going out to the summit?
6: A lot of it was just inspiration in terms of what other folks are doing. And really, I think the biggest takeaway I had, and there were a lot of interesting things I learned, but I was really impressed by how some organizations were doing just what we talked about, really which was building really strong on-the-ground presence in certain communities and doing the kind of community organizing that we haven't been able to do yet. Mm-hmm. I think what was frustrating to that is that I talked to some of these organizations, and some of this I'm actually drawing from going to the California Bike Summit. We have some really well-supported and funded coalitions in California. They have a lot of staff and capacity, and they can accomplish a lot. And they've set up this local teams approach where they have community organizers for many of their local cities who then are totally in charge, like leading a team of volunteers and training those volunteers in how to be effective advocates. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's kind of the gold standard of how to do advocacy well is not just coming in as a lobbyist, but managing to build up local volunteers and advocates in that way. And somehow they've managed to find the funding to do that. It could be done. And we've all been thinking of it. Diego Bike Coalition, when we're having a new ED come in, like what new direction would we like to take the organization? And a lot of it's been thinking about, like, how can we grow to the level where we can do that kind of work?
5: Yeah. Fascinating. Cool. I love chewing on that topic. There's so many possibilities and it's great to get the inspiration of the work that's happening around the country. So I'll leave you with this last one. This is a question we like to ask all of our interviewees of what is your bike joy? My bike joy? Um I think my favorite bike joy is just
6: getting off at of work or in the morning and just hopping on my bike. Usually will be on a cyclocross bike and just exploring and discovering weird things around where I live. And a lot of times just going off road, finding little urban trails that go between houses. In San Diego, there's a lot of Andeans you can dive into and just not looking at the map, not looking where I'm going, just trying to discover and in massachusetts i've found is a lot of towns have these local trail systems where they'll put signs up on the trees that'll kind of link you to every little trail in town and just following those around like a scavenger hunt and exploring i love looking at maps so like riding a bike is just kind of like the most vivid
5: and interesting way to do that so that's my bike joy Big it. well thanks will radigan from the san diego county bike coalition thank you so much for joining us today here on bike talk and you're welcome back anytime thanks so much galen
0: And now, Bike Talk co host Taylor Nichols asks two Brompton riders for their bike joy. What inspired you to get some Bromptons?
6: Well, we were sharing a car for a while because we didn't want to have to pay for two. And I was like,
4: I'm stuck in my house. So I decided uh, I wanted uh, to get a bike, but I didn't want one that took up so much space. And then I found this folding bike. So our goal is get this. We're going to get these bikes. We're going to make them
6: into e-bikes, get batteries that you can fold up, put on a plane, and we're going to travel the world with them because you can put it in carry-on luggage. Yeah, cool. you go to yeah. Europe
0: with that and then travel and then bike throughout Europe and then, you know, in a carry-on bike. It's... Yeah. So what's your bike joy? My bike joy is to, I don't know, every time I ride my bike, I just feel the so the, the
4: air and just feels like freedom, you know, and I'm Perfect. like, I don't have to spend on gas and mine is modding my bike. I Modding? love, yeah, that mean? hacking it
2: like
6: oh, the software really? and with Brompton it's so upgradable. I mean every bike is because with a
5: car you really need huge equipment to like hack it and mod it and make it your own. But this one I turned it into an e-bike. I added additional wheels for the rollers when it's folded up. I put
6: a rear view mirror. I just love that I can tinker with it and repair it all on my own and that's just my favorite part about it.
3: Nice to meet you. <laughs> Perfect I'm you so glad there's other yeah. bikes. Really In nice. Thank you yeah. so much.
0: And that was Bike Talk. If you have a story, a tip, or a topic, head over to Biketalk.org and send us a message. Talk again next week.
5: Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedal, get and run all around, run it all around. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedal, and run all around, run it all around. Ride it all around.
6: Oh, cut yourself a bite.
1: Oh, cut yourself a bite. Oh, cut yourself a bite. Oh,